0: A warm welcome to everybody My name is Aston and welcome to my channel I'll be uploading a lot of ministry content Some preaching, some Christian apologetics Substance abuse, recovery material And some life coaching principles and strategies so we are continuing with our series, we are at part five. Part five of growing as a believer and just a quick recap, we've been seeing, um, we've been in, the, in, in Peter and we've been seeing Peter's um, engagement to Christians that have suffered persecution and had also suffered loss. Um, but we see how both orthodoxy and orthopraxy has been uh, knitted together, and what it means by that is we have to have a right believing orthodoxy, a right theology, um, in order to be able to live right. And the way that we live is to be God's chosen people, God's royal priesthood, His holy nation. Um, God has chosen us for that, for us to be holy and set apart. Now. Oftentimes, when we talk about growth as a believer, and I'm going to say this again, remember, we're not limiting. I'm not saying in this series we're going to talk about everything that the Bible has to say about growth. It would take us a year alone to speak about that, um, and we are going to, before we close, touch on small things like prayer and things which we have subtly um, in the in the in the past. But let's get into this morning's passage. So it's Acts. And we're gonna pick it up from uh, Peter and John arrested in chapter number four, Acts chapter number four, and then we'll read from verse one all the way to verse twenty-three. So I wanna speak on a topic that is titled "Boldness." Uh, boldness. The work of God and persecution, boldness, the work of God and persecution. So before we go into the passage, just some, some minimum things that I would maybe just like to draw all of our attention to. Oftentimes you hear people say, I want to live for God, I just want to live for God. And oftentimes we have a scarred view of what does living for God actually mean? What does living for God actually look like? You know, oftentimes we're like, I want to live for God, and that embodies somehow, some way, us living our best life now. So is living your best life now unbiblical? Yeah, well, yes it is unbiblical. It's not in the scripture. Our best life we will have for eternity with God. But does it mean that God intentionally wants us to suffer? Well, what we've seen so far in Peter, people have been suffering. And we're going to see that in the book of Acts as well. But does it mean that life would not have the perks of God? Well, we actually looked at it when we saw um, peace. Um, We should pursue peace. So we have peace. Things can fall apart around us, but we can have peace. Something else I would also like to draw to your attention um, which we're going to be touching on slightly um, with regards to boldness and the work of God and persecution is um, we are currently here in South Africa facing a global pandemic. Um, by now, each and every one of us that is here right now knows somebody that has passed away, either a family member, a close uh, a, a relative a close friend a family friend someone you grew up with someone you grew up with mom um, maybe somebody from the working environment we all by now have have had our hearts burdened with mourning um, but i want to draw your attention to something that was worse in the bible so like, oh, there was something worse in the bible when well, it was persecution now we know throughout historic records, particularly 60 AD, um, when persecution was breaking out. And I've mentioned it in uh, the Great Commission um, Sermon, which is on my, my, my podcast channel, where we actually see how Christians, were their, their, their bodies, their, their, their flesh was ripped off and stitched together. Their bodies were taken and put on poles and lit up. To light up the streets they were boiled alive in masses this is what historic records teach us so it's not it wasn't even a thing of hey did you catch a virus it was hey are you a christian now here's the thing is what causes people to have such great boldness even in the midst of persecution and is that persecution the works of god well remember what jesus says not everybody is going to be willing to accept us. And we will be persecuted, more so to his disciples. And as I've mentioned previously, like where we are in our lives now, in our country, in our community, we don't have that type of persecution against the church. But listen to me here, it doesn't mean you aren't persecuted. Come on, give you an example. Let's say you choose not to live like the world does. And you have to be at uh, the work function, the Christmas function. And everybody's living the way that they would. Somebody will probably make a mention. Um, hey, Topi, do you want something to drink? No, I, you know, I don't drink. Yeah, it's was holy than Now That's persecution, bruh. That's, that's pers- we still have persecution subtly in our lives today. Maybe your cousins don't want you to come on the family holiday because you might spoil their sinful vibe. And you're a vibe killer. Because why? You are holier than thou. You are set apart. You are chosen. You are called. We will still be persecuted for our faith. But some of the things with regards to boldness is, in spite of us being persecuted for our faith, we need to be bold. We need to be bold about the work of God in and through our lives, even though we are persecuted. So, on that mindset, on that note, let's go and let's dive into the passage. Um, this is just after um, Peter's um, sermon preaching in Solomon's colonnade. Um, so he's here and he's at temple-like and he, he's preached. And here we pick it up in chapter 4 from verse 1. While they were speaking to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple police, the Sadducees, And the Sadducees confronted them. So, here's Peter and here's John. And they're preaching. They're preaching. There's this large masses that is gathered around them. How do we know? Well, because we actually see that in chapter number 2 and in chapter number 3. Well, in chapter number 2 and then later on also in uh, chapter number 2, the time of Pentecost. And then later on in chapter number 4 as well. And on throughout this outbreak from the time of Pentecost where the church actually starts. Because prior to Pentecost, there isn't a church of Christ. Jesus is calling His disciples. He's crucified. He raises back from the dead. That's the time of Pentecost where believers are empowered and equipped for ministry. So there's this boldness that is breaking out among people. And people are actually gathering together. And they are listening and teaching and preaching there wasn't a actual temple um, for them to be preaching but they were gathering together in solomon's colonnade and also which we see throughout the book of acts in people's homes um, and in other places as well so here's the scene here they are while they were speaking verse one to the people the priests the captain of the police and the sadducees confronted them because they were annoyed that they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So they are standing and preaching, and now we know what they were preaching about. They were preaching about Jesus and the resurrection from the dead. Now they were annoyed at this fact, and now they come to them verse 3 so they seized them and took them into custody until the day since it was already evening but many of those who had heard the message believed and the number of men listen to this came to about five thousand we don't even know the amount of women that got saved but we know the men alone that was counted that day was five thousand. Five thousand men so they get arrested but by the time they get arrested guess what it's a bit too late 5 eh? Five thousand people are saved Five thousand people are believing verse 5 the next day the rulers elders and the scribes assembled it in jerusalem with ananias with, with uh, sorry with annas the high priest uh, cyphus john alexander and all the members of the high priestly family so you have the whole priestly family is gotten together uh, verse 7, after they had Peter and John stand before them, they began to question them. By what power or in what name have you done this? So these people want to know. So it's, it's actually not an issue what is happening. The issue is that it's been done in the name of Jesus. And at this point in time, uh, Peter has already healed somebody. Uh, in chapter number 3, uh, the healing of the lame man. So the news is breaking out that these, these large crowds are gathering together. And more so, it is evident that somebody that's life was in a lame state has now been healed through their teaching and preaching. Now, and this is the individual that's, that's at the gates, and it's a poor guy, and he gets healed. So now the issue is not, are you living a life of what belief you have the issue is this christianity now the funny thing is we don't see really a persecution because people believe in buddha do we think about it we don't see a persecution because people believe in uh, allah we don't see a persecution because people believe in krishna in actual fact people don't care what you believe in but people have an issue when you believe in jesus people question you can build a monument and put a little figure in that monument and worship that figure and people in your work environment will be okay oh no he, he just worships that little that little figure in that monument but when it comes to jesus it's like how can you believe in someone you haven't seen there's always persecution around the christian faith and i'll give you the answer as to why well because it's the true faith and obviously the devil would want to hinder people from coming to the knowledge of christ but here in the book of acts we're going to see now the boldness and the work of god in peter's life so they want to know um, the high priestly family they want to know in in what god's name have you performed these miracles and here comes verse 8 then peter was filled with the holy spirit and said to them Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today about good deeds done to the, to a disabled man, by what means he was healed, let it be known to all the people, to all of you, and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. So let's pause there. He he, he goes straight into it. Listen, let's let's let's. He he's like, let me clear the air for you. It's in Jesus' name. And and in case there was a confusion behind who is Jesus, listen to this, whom you crucified and who God raised from the dead. So they had thought they put an end to this movement, this Jesus movement. The disciples were there. Jesus was healing uh, people. Jesus was preaching Jesus is persecuted, he's crucified, raises from the dead, God raises him from the dead and now a revival breaks out, now Pentecost breaks out, now thousands of people are being saved, to a degree that these people are coming together, selling their things and distributing it evenly among them, there's there's this new rule and reign, God's chosen is starting to manifest, God's rule and reign among people Is starting to manifest God's love and compassion towards people And God's call of repentance for ju- oh, Because of his judgment is being, out, is being poured out Through the teaching and through the preaching Now obviously These religious elect These high priests Obviously by now They thought that they put an end to it When they murdered Jesus Now surely The crucifixion of Jesus Should for them have been the end of this movement, but it was only the beginning. Because now, larger groups... It takes me back and it makes me think about what Jesus says to His disciples. Even greater things than this shall He do in my name. Now, think about it. Jesus feeds the 5,000. The 5,000 leave Jesus, and Jesus is left with a certain bracket of people. And it's not 5,000 now after the resurrection through the teaching and the preaching of the disciples keep in mind we have peter here peter was the one that denied jesus three times until he physically saw the resurrected jesus and physically saw and touched the wounds in jesus hands seeing jesus in the flesh now he's getting a boldness now it's not like wait a minute there's a persecution breaking out they killed the man that we were following the man that we were following raised back from the dead they saw him. They touched him. He empowered them at the time of Pentecost. They seen the resurrected Jesus. Now they are teaching and preaching with great boldness in that name. And healing people. The sign and the seal of their apostleship. That's what Jesus promised to them. Go into all the nations. Teach and preach. Heal the sick. They're healing the sick. And this religious elite want to know, what power is it? that you have the ability to do that. And he's like, Look, let's, let's clear the air. Remember Jesus that you crucified and God raised back from the dead? Yeah, him. Now, how many times do we have the type of boldness in the midst of persecution? I mean, this man is in prison. By now, he's been brought before the religious elite and he has an opportunity to say like, in the name of anybody or anything and it would release him. But he's being yelled because of his belief. Now, what areas of persecution have we experienced in our life? And how much times do we back down? Now, here comes the thing. It might not even be a physical conversation that we have with people. But maybe in a group of friends. And you know that the things that is being said is not right. You know that what they want to do is not right. Do we succumb to the pressure of the people around us? Or do we make it known? That it's because of Jesus Christ, that was crucified and raised back from the life, that we have a new life in Him. That lives can be transformed because yes, yeah, they being brought to the questioning stand in the court of law, for what? For somebody's life that changed. It's like you, the man, the man is healed now through the name of the man that you killed, and God raised back to life. That man healed this man that you can see. What, what is the issue with the fact that a crippled man, a lame man is now made whole? Let us read on. Then Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and said, Rulers of the people of the people and elders, if we are being examined today about a good deed done to a disabled man, by what means he was healed? Let it be known to all of you and all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified and who God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing here before you, Yalfi. Now, that, that should have been enough. Like that, that, That's enough now. Okay, we, we know it. But here we see the boldness of Peter. It's not just he wants to make sure that he does a good exposition of who Jesus is. And yet he bursts out into the sermon. This, verse 11, this Jesus is the stone rejected by you builders, which has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, for no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. And yet he tells them, there's, there's, there's salvation in no other name. Remember the man that you rejected? He became the chief cornerstone. What you rejected. The entire building is standing upon now. Whom you crucified and God raised from the dead, we are able to perform this power, this miracles. Verse 13, when they observed the boldness of Peter and John and realized, now here it comes, they were uneducated and untrained men. Now, let, let's think about it. And let me share a story. So, I had an opportunity of chatting with somebody a while back, and um, I was speaking of people that we've had the opportunity of sending to the Bible College. And this is the person's response: "Is like, um, like, can they earn a living from that?" Now, this is the the perception that people have: like, if I have to study to become a doctor, people will probably celebrate me. How about a lawyer? family would be so proud hey oh i'm not just a mechanic i'm a mercedes mechanic family would be proud but what about i want to study the bible we who have the knowledge of god the wisdom of god are seen to the world as uneducated uneducated and normal men people don't see us as educated people People don't want to have a, a lengthy conversation with us. Now, here comes the thing. Those very same people draw themselves Sundays to church. They flog the church. They set the church full, claiming to be, God, to be uh, Christians, to be saved. But here comes the thing. How are you Christian and how are you saved without theology? It's impossible for somebody to make a rational decision. Because think about it. Here's Jesus. So let, let, me, let, me, let me present the gospel to you. There was a Jewish man. Okay? And this Jewish man died on the cross over 2,000 years ago, raised from the dead. He, he, he wants you to follow him because he gives you grace. He actually chooses you. So your ability to follow him um, is from him choosing you. He died. He rose back from the dead, and he wants you to deny everything that you want of life and follow him. You'd probably laugh. A reasonable, sensible person would probably laugh. Are you serious? Some Jewish dead guy over 2,000 years ago wants me to deny myself, sell my belongings, give it to the poor. Are you? Are you? Are you serious? And they would probably look at me like um, I ate spicy mushrooms for breakfast, and I'm hallucinating. normal, uneducated, untrained men. But they realized something. That normal, that untrained men had a great boldness. Now, not only did they have a great boldness, but there was evidence of the work of God. How and why? There was a lame man that is made whole. There is before the witness of everybody, life transformation. Now, that is one of the pinnacles of our Christian faith that cannot be denied. And that is why when we talk about about growth as a believer, we talk about life transformation. We talk about about, uh, untrained. We talk about uneducated men having a boldness. Now, let me use this example. So, I, for, for me, most of what my achievements was, was after I got born again. I didn't succeed in school. I didn't succeed in business and succeed in other aspects of my life, but there's one area that I succeeded in and it had nothing to do with me, but it had everything to do with the work of God. I'm an untrained and uneducated man. But when people, if somebody ought to come to the church, and they would say, oh, well, no, you know, that pastor's actually here. And I like the way he preaches. And my desire, my intent is never for people to leave there with that perception like, oh wow, the pastor preaches so good. People should see how is God glorified and honored in the preaching and the teaching of the Bible. What have you learned about the Bible? But it doesn't change the fact that people look at ministers and preachers as men of great boldness. The world might see us as uneducated and untrained, but we have a great Boldness, And we know from what Paul teaches Timothy that we have to be approved by God. We have to be trained by God to use His Word in the world that we are living in now. But here they are. Their boldness is being seen. Peter and John's boldness is being seen. Um, They realized that they were uneducated and untrained men. They were amazed and recognized that they, and here it comes, had been with Jesus. Come on now. When you are with Jesus, people will see it. People will recognize it. When you walk and live your life with Jesus, people will recognize it. He was just an addict, but now he's a disciple. He was, he was, he was just a thief. He was just a sinner, but now he's a sinner. When you've been with Jesus, and here comes the thing, these people are upset, they are questioning them for using the name of Jesus, but they can't deny the fact that the power and the authority and the boldness of Peter and John is because they were with Jesus. They can recognize and see that the there's a layman that was healed. Why? Because of Jesus' name. The people that healed the layman. There is teaching and preaching in Solomon's uh, colony. They've been with Jesus. Now, here comes the thing. If, some, if you walk through the door and you spend time with people, is there somehow in some way that people will recognize you saved? How about this? If Topi goes on the weekend to uh, be with his family, and he's walking around the streets of Clement, is there something different with him other than he looks good, he's got his skinny jeans on, and kick and Babozas on those sharp shoes with the tossels, Other than him looking good, does people can people say, Top is being with Jesus. Untrained, uneducated, but his life has changed. They can be amazed at the transformation power and the work of the name of Jesus in your life that they can't deny. There has to be undeniable evidence Now here comes the thing, staying clean from drugs doesn't mean you're saved. There is people that is not saved that is clean from drugs. By the way, there is people that never went on to drugs that is not saved. Now, being in drugs and repenting from your sin and calling it what it is and clinging to Christ for forgiveness teaches us that you are saved. But it's not only sobriety that will flow from your life. There's many areas of sanctification. And here comes the thing, it will be evident. The Bible teaches us, you will judge a tree by the fruit it bears. What fruit are you bearing in your life? Can people see that you were with Jesus? Can people see? And it's not just on a Sunday after church, when you come home, you're playing some Christian music. It's not just that. You being with Jesus changes the way you treat people, changes the way you do things, changes the way you do what you do with your life. You might be untrained, you might be uneducated, but God qualifies you. God takes those who are unqualified, He qualifies them, but here comes the thing, we then pursue qualification. Why? Because God has called us by grace through faith. And we have a responsibility to establish His rule and His reign, His order and His structure. When they observed the boldness of Peter and John and realized they were uneducated, untrained men. They were amazed and recognized that they had been with Jesus. And here comes it. And since they saw the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in opposition. Now remember what did Peter teach us when he writes? And it's weird because here's Peter. Yes, Peter. Now, we have what happens later on through Peter's ministry and through Peter's audience because we're looking at it in the past uh, few um, sermons. Now, Peter says, if you suffer for doing good, you are blessed. If you suffer for doing good, you are blessed. Right conduct and right belief are married together and since verse 14 they saw that these men who had been standing with them they had nothing to say in opposition remember what peter teaches us in his epistle that we can shut the mouths of people by our conduct and here's peter now we find in first peter peter teaching that to his his um sojourners those in exile those scattered peter sharing that with them you can have a great boldness you can shut the mouth of people now obviously where would peter get that from well here we see Acts chapter 4 because that's what peter done peter shut the mouth of the religious that wanted to oppose him and persecute him for using the name of jesus but didn't change the name of jesus after that he became more bold it's like let it be known to everybody since you are questioning me, that it's in the name of Jesus, the one that you died, remember the one you crucified, and God raised him up, you thought it was the end, right? Well, now we see changed lives. It's in his name that we performed this. And the people are looking at Peter and John, and like, they're amazing. This is uneducated, untrained, normal men. But there's something different about those normal men. So those normal men have been chosen by Jesus, Called from their sin to no longer live in their sin and to shut the mouths of those who oppose the Christian faith by the way we live our lives. Are you growing as a believer? Is your life shutting the mouth of those who have anything to say against our faith by your conduct? I'll give it to you, verse 14 again. And since they saw the man who had been healed standing with them, he has evidence. They all know the man. They passed him by. Nobody helped him. He was a, a, a crippled beggar. He was at the gates. Nobody can come in without seeing him. He's right there. And a normal man. That's with them. He's healed. They had nothing to say in opposition. How can they say that when life has been transformed? They got nothing to say. And here it comes. After they ordered them to leave the Sanhedrin, they coffered among themselves, saying, What should we do with these men? For an obvious sign has been done through them, clear to everyone living in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. So they send them away, and now they start chatting among each other. What are we going to do? Because it's obvious that life has changed through these men's ministry. It's obvious The program is working. Somebody's life has been changed. All of Jerusalem is witnessing it. And even they can't deny it. Verse 17. But so that this does not spread any further. See, there comes the hindrance. Here comes the further persecution. They want to make sure, okay, look here, Jerusalem knows what happened. We know what happened. But we don't want anybody else to know. And we don't want this group to grow. But so that this doesn't spread any further among the people, let's threaten them against speaking to anyone in this name again. So I'm like, you know what, let's call them in. Let's threaten them. Now, you we don't have the type of threats that was made, but I will let you in, into some suggestions made by, made by uh, Woody Bakem. So verse 18. So they called from them and ordered them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Verse 19 Peter and John answered them. Now listen to John and, and Peter. Whether it is right in your sight for us to listen to you rather than God, you decide. For we are unable to stop about what we have seen and heard. So they, they threatened them. And Peter and John's like, nah, I'm so alright. So we okay we're gonna carry on you you decide what you think is right it's, it's your choice but as for us we're gonna carry on and we're gonna keep on preaching in this name by now they've been put in prison and guess what there's no accusation against them this is the same people that crucified jesus on the cross And God raised him back to life. And here's this great number of people, this boldness in the disciples. Healing is still happening. And like, we need to put an end to this. We see boldness. We see persecution. And we see the work of God as a layman being changed. They are are called before the Sanhedrin. And we see their boldness. Now, would you be willing to be bold Now, here comes the thing. We can't even be bold over the little things. Imagine being persecuted for your faith. Listen, we get, life presents us things that takes us more away from God than takes us to God. And we go with those things. Why do we think we'll be able to have this? If somebody threatens you, the government says, now the churches can never open again. Or else, we're going to lock you up. What are you gonna do? Well, I'll tell you what I would do. I would look at these examples of our fathers in the faith. I will look at their boldness. And I'll tell the government, well, you decide. But as for me, I won't. And here comes the thing: verse 21. After threatening them further, now they threaten them, you threaten them even further. Like, no, 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 no. Now no, we have it. They found no way to punish them because the people were all giving glory to god over what had been done for the sign of the healing sign of healing had been performed on a man over 40 years old now what would threatening them further look like now let's think about it the sanhedrin knows that it's not like they can take all of their belongings. Um, because in the previous uh, chapter 2, from verse 14, they gave all their belongings away. They split it among each other. So they like were saying, you know what, we will repossess your house. Like we already gave it all away. So, what, what are we going to put you in prison? Well, we know throughout Scripture <laughs> that that doesn't help, that doesn't work god has gotten people out of prison before we've seen all throughout the old testament the boldness of god's people but what's the height of threatening that somebody can give you you do that again and i will kill you but think about it kill them like who like jesus and god just raised him back to life again what can your opposer do to you nothing because even in the face of death, God raises you back to life. The Bible teaches us what can separate us from the love of God. Heights, debts, powers, rulers, principalities. No, nothing can separate us from the love of God. And that is why Paul in Romans then concludes and he says, For we are more than conquerors. Why are we more than conquerors? Not because we have the ability to become trained and educated men, but because of God's power that resides on us, that has nothing to do with us but everything of God. In a life where a, a Christian faith, and we might not have that type of persecution here by us, but what are you doing? Are you being bold? Are you, is the works of God evident through your life's ministry is people around you's lives being changed i'm not saying go and heal the lame because we know healing people without offering them salvation is not going to do them much no is it living their best life now and then they die and they go to hell it's not going to help them now we have to tell them the same thing that jesus said to the man at the pool of bethesda now go and sin no more less something worse happens to you. So what are we going to do with our salvation? Are we going to be bold? Are we going to allow God's evidence of his change to manifest in and enter our lives? Or are we going to crumble under persecution? But let our answer and our response to those who want to shut our mouths for speaking the truth be a simple response. No, we won't. We will continue to preach and to teach. We will continue for lives to be transformed. Because that power doesn't come from us. But it comes from God. Now here's the final question. And it's this. We often see the disciples as with their boldness. And we look to them as an example. But the question we ought to ask ourselves. What is it about Jesus that makes them so bold and he's the one we need to turn to because he's the one that died a death that you and I deserve and he nailed our sin to the cross and he rose back to life. Amen.